I think those three words capture all the things we've been talking about. You know, the sense of just wanting to be open to whatever. Don't don't have a raisin heart. Have a juicy grape heart. Be open. um, Be ready for whatever comes along. Be ready for guests. Be ready for fun. Be ready for danger. And then decide you've been curious and and not letting your world get smaller, but keeping your world open. Hello, welcome to Statement Mondays, where we explore how different women harness their identities at work. I'm your host, Natalie Munster, and if you need a reason to be bold today, here it is. Today is Statement Monday. Our guest for this episode is Cynthia Grutzik. Cynthia has an unusual background of growing up in Cameroon, Africa, and that's also where she had her first ever job teaching. The languages and culture from her upbringing have impacted the way she's approached every job in education, including her current role as Dean of the Graduate College of Education at San Francisco State University. I know Cynthia, or Cindy as I call her, because she is the mom of one of my best friends, Petra, and I've been lucky enough to experience firsthand her love of sharing food, wine, connection, and conversation with everyone around her. As always, stick around after the interview to hear some of my thoughts on the discussion you're about to hear. Welcome, Cindy, to the show. Thank you. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Cindy Grutzik, and I'm the Dean of the Graduate College of Education at San Francisco State University. And I'm mom to two kids, two grown kids, two large kids. I say that because they're taller than me, so I always feel like the little mama. So I'm in the field of teacher education, and I've been in this field for almost 25 years. And it's a field of work that matters a lot to me because I think it's just so important to send teachers out there who really get it about connecting with kids and about changing the world, let's just say, just big picture, make it better, pose good questions complicate things. You know, the good teachers in your life that you can count on one hand, you should have one every year. That's my plan. So I love this work and I've been doing it for a long time. Thank you very much. And I love hearing about right off the bat how passionate you are about what you work on. To start off, what would you say is your public identity at work? Yeah. So the things that are my public identity are that I'm an education leader I'm a hardworking, systems-thinking, planner and caring person, team builder, somebody who shows up. And so I think all of that comes under the umbrella of being a teacher educator or an educator, not just teachers, principals and counselors and special ed teachers are all in my college. So I think my public identity is an educator of educators. (laughs) (laughs) if i were to ask one of the people who you worked closely with Mm -hmm. who is cindy how do you Mm -hmm. like her how do you like working with her who (laughs) like who is she what would their gut instinct be i would say overall the feedback that i get is that people like working with me because i'm positive and i am a listener and i'm open i don't get mad i don't get flustered. I kind of take things in stride, but I move things forward. So I'm trying to create a place where people will say, 
I really love working in that college. And mm. I see the work of a dean as being somebody who's within and part of the work and make sure that the people who work in the college can can do their best work because that is how good teachers get made. So that is, I think that's what they, I hope that's what they would say that this, I love coming to work. I feel like I can do everything I want to do because I know things are being handled. Things are fair. Things are energetic and positive and I'm part of a team. The first word that came to mind was that you're a pillar, fundamental, very structurally sound, mm-hmm. and you're there to support everything that gets built on top. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people rely on you for that. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask, you have such a unique upbringing, mm-hmm. and I'd love to hear, mm-hmm. so you grew up in Cameroon, I'd mm-hmm. love to hear a little bit about that. And then as a follow-up, how that plays into who you are at work Mm -hmm. or the values you hold. Yeah. Oh, lots of ways. So yeah, I lived the first 14 years of my life in Cameroon. My dad and my mom worked for the Presbyterian church and dad's a surgeon who worked there, I think 30 years altogether. And mom was a teacher there. And so There's a lot I'm still learning how to unpack about that whole experience. The positive was that it helped me grow up. I mean, growing up in a different culture just opens you up to the world in a good way that you can see. I mean, I feel like I have a deep understanding of how much of the rest of the world lives. And at the same time, a deep understanding that's unsettling in terms of what it is to be uh, a little white kid growing up in an African town and African country. You know, it was right after Cameroon got its independence. And here we were, you know, part of a missionary tradition that went probably 100 years back of, of kind of colonial presence in a country that was trying to shake that off. So there's, there's a lot there that I appreciate and at the same time, really wonderful experiences with people who lived there and who worked with my mom and dad and who cared so deeply for me and my family and introduced us to you know their culture. And so I feel like I've got dimensions of cultural understanding that there's no way I would have gotten those any other way. And the other thing that's interesting is the linguistic piece. I grew up surrounded by language, by African languages, by French, by Dutch. And I think it makes you tuned in to language, but also culture and expression and discourse and nuance, all that stuff that I really value now. You know, I ended up studying linguistics a lot in college and in grad school. And I listen different because I think about how people say things. And, And then I went back, actually, my first teaching job was in Cameroon. What are the main differences in how you were teaching then Mm. when you were back in your 20s versus how? I mean, of course, you're in a different role now, but what were you, what was your persona then? Yeah. Oh, I loved my teaching. I was an elementary teacher for seven years before I went back to grad school and kind of transitioned into teaching adults Mm -hmm. and teaching college. Teaching is really hard, but at the same time, Mm. I really loved those kids. 
when I was teaching at the international school for three years, I can remember in my classroom, there would be like, you know, 12 nationalities and 12 languages and everybody trying to figure out how to learn in English. <laughs> and it just requires of you a, a creativity. You just have to build this can-do attitude. And I brought my guitar and we sang a lot of songs. And, <laughs> mm. and you know, the other teachers helped me out a lot. It was, that's the other thing about teaching is it's really a community of practice. But I, I think the main thing, though, is that I was a teacher before I had kids. I know I would have been a more patient teacher and I would have connected with the parents a little more. I would have connected with parents in a different way. But I learned a lot, you know, of course, you learn a lot. And, and I, I think, a, I hope a lot of kids think about those years as good years of their teaching, of their, you know, having a teacher. Yeah, I think I know where the patience, I see where yeah. that comes into play <laughs> from your earliest teaching job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I think that earliest teaching job with all those kids from all over the place, let me see what kids are really capable of. And I think the the patience part, patience is one thing, but I think the determination as a teacher to not be the central boss figure is a real thing kind of philosophical choice based on research that really shows that, you know, to have authentic learning experiences, you have to do learning yourself. And so I learned to be the kind of teacher who organizes things and then steps to the side so learning can happen. And I brought that with me to my work now. And that's how that's, I think, kind of circling back to where we started, you know, I'm, I want to be the kind of dean who creates the learning situation and creates the situation where people can do their work and then gets out of the way. So how have you grown this identity that you're talking mm. about over the 25 years that you've worked in teacher's mm-hmm. education? Mm-hmm. Any pieces of life that have filtered in? Yeah, yeah. Part of it is getting to work with really wonderful leaders. One of the Early people who was a mentor to me, Dr. Corinne McGuigan was my provost at Pacific Oaks College, and she really created an environment of openness, of authenticity, of, you know, there's room for everybody at this table. I think when you experience that kind of environment, then you learn how to create that yourself. You see the impact that it has, and that's what you want. My my dean at Long Beach State, when I worked there, was Dr. Marquita Grinnell-Shire, and she was uh, really nurturing to me as an upcoming education leader and brought me into lots of situations where I hadn't a chance to learn. And I think when you start to see how the bigger picture works and your agency within it, then it helps you see what role you can play in supporting and fostering that kind of agency with other people. And you mentioned a few different names of people that it sounded like really inspired you to mimic or pull in some of the strategies or traits that they have. Yeah, I think mentorship is a good way to put it. And it's mentorship that's offered, but it's also mentorship that you seek. You know, if you come uh, come at your work with a learning approach, then I think you find ways to observe, to try things out and get feedback. A lot of my work is project management. And so there's a Mm. whole team building process that's there, a relationship and trust building process. So I, I, I can think about times when I've done that process of project management 
really all by myself and how stressful and hard that is where you have to make an outcome that is high stakes. Mm -hmm. And then other times when I've done that with a lot more support where people are showing up to do what I ask them to do or where the pieces come into place because people are meeting the deadlines. My boss meets regularly with me and says, what can I do? Or how's it going? And that sounds like the way that you show up as a project manager is with your patients. That's the piece of you that is core to the way you do things. Is that accurate or is that just that's that's a, a, my hypothesis? Yeah, that's patience is actually a good word. And patience with pressure. I mean, I think, let's see, patience with pressure. That's not quite it. Patience with structure. Maybe, mm. Because the projects that I've been talking about are these giant college-wide accreditation projects. It's sort of like a quality review. And there are a lot of reports. And then there's an in-person site visit with a team coming to your site to see if everything's working the way that you said it was. And it's like an audit, like a big audit of your whole college. And so it's patience in the sense of how can you help people really get engaged and get involved and want to be there and want to help out. But the structure really helps too that I've found. And that's part of what I've learned for myself too, is that structuring deadlines and breaking it down into steps that you get done, you know, within certain timeframes. And these are very systematic projects. It's interesting to think about those big projects as sort of a combination of all the ways that I show up at work and in keeping the positive energy, keeping the acknowledgement and gratitude and team building, and at the same time, getting the outcomes that we all want because they mean that we're doing a good job in our teacher preparation work and we're meeting the statewide standards. And so, yeah, there's something about that work that really resonates with me as hard as it is. I, I really like it. And you mentioned gratitudes, which mm -hmm. you don't hear from everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes projects really bring out the best in people. Projects that are a little bit outside their usual work span, they, it's great to see people come up with creative ways to solve things. And you see a side of them that you hadn't seen before. And yeah, I do feel a lot of gratitude for that. And that's an important thing to convey, actually, that you, you recognize that in people and Mm -hmm. I like that when people notice that and express that for me too. So I carry that forward. So I imagine that you express a lot of gratitude. Or do you, do you like form a culture of gratitude? Yeah, I hadn't thought of it with those words, but that is what I do. Um, an example is when we, we had at the end of the school year last year, we had a giant college meeting, but all on Zoom, obviously, you know, so we had probably three screens of faces. At the end of the hour, though, I left some time for me to be quiet and stop talking and for people just to speak up and, and give shout outs, you know, of just appreciation for what they saw in people. And it was really a great way to wrap up the school year. I was so glad. And a lot of it is just being quiet and listening and making space for that, but it matters a lot. And it sounds like making space for that and listening is what makes mm -hmm. you a great leader. I hope so, because I think that's really, really important, you know, to kind of flatten the hierarchy. We talk about it in education or in, at the university as shared governance, where we make decisions when we can by listening to as many people as we can and giving input and voice mm. to people in different ways. So it makes a difference. You know, like last year, I started a Dean's Council for Student Leaders, and I had about 12 students who showed up pretty consistently every month to meet with me and just talk to me about how it's going. 
So for students to, to have that opportunity, I think means a lot to them, but it means a lot to me because then I know when I'm deciding things for the college, I'm, I can, I'm keeping student voices in mind. So yeah, making space for all the voices is something that matters to us in education, you know, in a classroom it matters. Should the teacher's voice be the one that's heard all the time? Is the teacher the, the boss of the classroom and all the kids just a good student is a quiet student? You know, no. We know better than that. And that's how I want to do in the college too. I like that. A good student is not necessarily a quiet one. One of the reasons that I was inspired to do this type of podcast is that I felt underprepared entering the workforce, entering Mm. my career, ready to tackle challenges, but not having the tool set to do so Mm -hmm. because I've always been taught, you know, following the rules is the right Mm -hmm. way to do things. But then when you Mm -hmm. reach, you know, your first jobs, it's about, advocating for yourself. And you you might not necessarily progress at the rate you want in certain mm-hmm. industries if you wait to be seen. Yeah, um, I felt like as a quieter voice in a room, I was underprepared. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, I think about that in my college too. Just, it makes me think about, you know, who are the people that I don't really hear from? It's kind of on us to make that space and to just follow up. Yeah, but but that's a good point too cuz I I can relate to that about being a rule follower, you know. I'm one of the people that school worked for. Unlike lots of kids who feel like they just school is just a box they don't want to be in and it's structured in a way that just doesn't help them be themselves, you know. What I'm still learning is how to recognize and check myself that school and the leadership that I'm responsible for doesn't work just in one way and shouldn't work just in the way that worked for me coming up. And so what are ways that I need to get out of the way of the people who need to be there more and have more presence and have more voice or support that? Yeah, I think that's a real challenge of, of doing this kind of work. Time for a break. I'm going to try something a little different and do a bit of a debrief here instead of all at the end. I'd love to know if you like it more or less than just at the end. So email me at natalie at statementmondays.com to let me know. You can also email me about anything you want. <laughs> I would love to get your emails. Cynthia so far has described her desire to shape education so students have a stronger voice in the classroom and so they, they also just have more great teachers. We jumped back in time to hear about where all this comes from and how her childhood and her first teaching job in Cameroon shaped who she is and what she's worked to achieve ever since. What stands out to me is Cynthia has such clear drive for the work she's doing. I think that understanding why you do the work that you do and where that motivation comes from is powerful. And honestly, something I have not yet figured out myself. So in Cameroon, she taught a group of students who spoke 12 languages, and she had to be patient. She had to get creative. And another thing to note is she's aware that she isn't the most important piece of the equation to accomplish this. It's the students. It takes a lot of maturity and selflessness to see the greater goal and the role that you can play in it, and then operating exclusively to achieve that end goal. She doesn't talk about climbing the ranks or self-promotion, just about making room for all the other voices in the classroom, all the students, and generally creating an environment for really great learning. Great leaders lift others up, And on a micro level, great teachers lift students up. I see why she's in the role of the dean of the Graduate College of Education. 
people with significant authority get there because they see and they execute on the larger vision. Okay, that's enough debrief for now. I'll save the rest for the end of the interview. So next up, we'll hear about how Cynthia's side passions are related to her upbringing in Cameroon. Hint, she's an amateur wine connoisseur. And she also talks about creating her own life motto to help get her past tougher times. Yep, you heard me, creating her own life motto. And at the very end, I ask her, like I ask all my guests, what her heels are. And by that metaphor, I mean the piece of her that she can rely on, that she draws confidence and strength from. All right, let's get back to it. Do you bring your whole self to work? And what does that mean to you? I do. I like that question. I do bring my whole self to work because, you know, what we do, especially in education, but I think this is probably true anywhere, is all about the relationships that you build, the energy that you bring, the trust that you have or that you build. And I think, you know, when you step away from work and think about it and let it kind of cook and and you, you reflect on it while you're doing the other parts of your life, there are connections there too about, I guess, maybe it's that the way you live your whole life informs the way that you work so that you end up bringing your whole self to work if there's integration across your whole life. And I think there can be disconnects too. If there are things going on in your life that make it really hard to, to concentrate on work or to bring yourself to work, that definitely happens. And I don't think you think about it as like, I'm going to leave myself over here and just do my work over here. Mm-hmm. I think it's, we're, we're lucky when we get to integrate our work and our life. I think even the kind of relationships you have and the kind of attention you pay to friendships and things like that is, is how you do your work too, in some degree. There are different kinds of boundaries and things, but yeah. You know, you sort of find the level of sharing that allows uh, relationships to build and, mm. and connections to be made. But at the same time, you sort of know that home home life is home life. And I think, yeah, that's because that's how do you bring your whole stuff to work if you're also making boundaries? I think that's yeah, it's like you can infuse yourself in work, yeah. but especially in education or especially in the professional mm-hmm. outward facing role you're in as well, mm-hmm. that you might have mm-hmm. to have certain filters. Yeah. Because I think you're yourself wherever you are. Although, you know, now that I'm sitting, we're all sitting in our homes doing our work, you know, those boundaries are so blurred. I, it's <laughs> interesting that my yeah. family gets to hear me work in a way yeah. they never have, you know, and I'm doing my work sitting here in my living room with my family kind of walking in and out or, you know, kind of peeking around like, are you online right now? So I think that that whole concept of bringing your whole self to work has a whole new flavor to it now. And I'm curious because I know that you have side hobbies and I know that you make clothing and that you're great (laughs) at sewing. And I know that you worked part-time at a wine shop for the fun of it when you were still in LA. Are those I mean, those sound so core to who you are and to what makes you happy. Do those ever show up at work? Yes. Well, I think that the sewing, man, I I grew up sewing and I haven't sewed for a long time. I think sewing masks is the first time I've sewed in a long time. It was really fun. But the, you know, it's, I love wine and I love what wine brings, the sort of connection and history and all of that that goes into you know, making wine. I think it's just delicious too. And so, yeah, my friends own a tasting room in Manhattan Beach and a restaurant in Hermosa Beach that they opened last year. It's called Barsha. And so 
when we became friends, it was really fun to hang out there, but also begin to take some shifts and cover cover some some work when they needed some extra help. And that made me realize that one thing that I really love is this idea of hospitality, and it shows up in my work too. So I love, and I think this is the way my household was when I was little and my mom was, that you welcome people in and you're ready for visitors and you add more water to the soup and put set more places at the table. And I think my first chores that I learned how to do were getting the guest room ready. And I love that hospitality aspect. And I think that's that partly shows up in my work too, the way I, the way I bring people together and I organize events and I... I make, you know, work work lunches and parties. Like, let's just get people together. Let's make really good food. Let's create the conditions for connection and conversation and sitting around for a long time and thinking together and enjoying each other's company. Could you tell me about a memorable moment that you felt invincible mm. at work and what mm. empowered you? Well, since I kind of told the front half of the story about this project management around these big projects, I, I think coming to the end of one of those is a time when I really felt good because I felt that the team that, that I built really worked together and we got the outcomes we needed and uh, we were successful and it was over and behind us. It was a big grind for a long time. So what yeah. about it? Was it that you were able to form a team that worked so well together or were there particular hurdles that you had to jump over yeah. in it? Or was it just a really drawn out process? All of that that you just said and also that I understood the whole system really well and well enough to work within it to achieve what we needed to achieve. So I mean, without getting into lots of detail, it's in California, the whole system for how you get to be an institution that that offers teaching licenses is that mm -hmm. you have to meet a whole set of standards. And so to do all that, you build the team and you make the schedule and you manage the project over a period of three years. So I think that's why I felt like, yes, I got this because I understand the system and worked within it and got where we needed to get. I'm sure there were ups and downs, but when it finally all came together, was it a very sharp <laughs> feeling? There were some definitely some accomplishment milestone points. There was a team of, I think, seven or eight people who came to the campus to evaluate us and to do the audit. And so that feeling of being ready for the team to come, you know, and I remember having a, a I called it a pep rally in my office. <laughs> We crowded in that little office and I had Red Bull and Cokes and like all kinds <laughs> of drinks for people. And we were just cheering ourselves like, yes, we're ready. We did this, you know, and that felt really good. And then the three-day visit was just really stressful. And then when the team was done with their report and we got the results that we needed to get, it was really a relief and a celebration and and in fact, Joe, my husband, threw a surprise party for me at Barsha, the wine shop, at Aww. the end of that. <laughs> it was sort of like this, this big hoopla at the end of three years of working towards this thing. And, you know, I think taking the time to celebrate it was really important. Maybe it's part of that gratitude idea we were talking about that, you know, pause and just say, wow, look at what we're doing. This is really cool. And um, this is working. And let's keep going, you know, so both for your own sake and I'm sure yeah. the people who 
partook in it as well. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm in I'm in year two of another three year grind right mm. now. So we're gonna get this one too. But yeah, <laughs> we're back at it. <laughs> what is your life motto? Oh, I'll tell you because I have it. It's open, ready, curious. Wow. You are ready. Where did that come from? I put that together for myself some time ago when I needed a motto and I wanted some, I, you know, back to the linguistics idea. I love words, you know, and I think Mm. um, the words we say to ourselves matter and our self-talk matters and you can create your own self-talk almost like an internal coach voice for yourself and tell yourself how you want to be and who you want to be. And so I can remember when I wanted some words to kind of just get me through some stuff. Actually, there's one little phrase that comes before that, that my friend gave to me on a little necklace and it says, love sustains love. And I love those words because I think, you know, to keep love going, you have to love yourself. So you have to be someone who loves people. And so that was that love sustains love is part of it. And then work hard to be open, ready, curious. Yeah, I just thought of those words and put them together and have stuck with me for years. That's beautiful. And it is it kind of I think those three words capture all the things we've been talking about, you know, the sense of just wanting to be open to whatever don't don't have a raisin heart have a juicy grape heart be open um, be ready for whatever comes along be ready for guests be ready for fun be ready for danger and then decide you've been curious and and not letting your world get smaller but keeping your world open and so that makes complete sense given everything that we've (laughs) talked about absolutely and in one word or phrase what are your heels I love that question because for me, it literally is my heels. I love shoes and I, I love wearing heels and I, it's, I have great shoes that I've collected over time. And I, <laughs> it, it's been one of the things that's funny about, you know, people joke about not wearing their pants at COVID, you know, on their Zoom sessions. Yeah, and yeah. For me, it's like, okay, I wear pants, but I don't wear shoes. Yeah. I think shoes are just are such a nice way to express uh, how you feel and, and your style and look. Like, what is the thing that really makes you feel um, your tool, your confidence booster? So I'll say in the era of Zoom calls, I've moved from shoes to eyewear. <laughs> and so I decided to switch it up and get glasses that I really like. So, um, <laughs> so that's, I think, because, you know, how you frame yourself is part of what your heels are. like. Your heels kind of create your walk or your silhouette and kind of pull things together a little bit. And I think your eyewear can do the same. I think it's fun to think about those things because I hope that everybody has something, you know, it's, it's something that's not just fun, but I think that it's really important for every woman to have a way to express some personal strength or a feeling or a sense of beauty. So Shoes when I can, eyewear when I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me Thanks, today. Thanks, Natalie. It's um, great to think about all this stuff. And I think the more we can all talk about it, the better. That was Cynthia Grutzik.
few things I'm going to talk about now are obedience or lack thereof, creating a life motto, and some smaller topics of expressing gratitude and taking the time to celebrate. First, I just have to come back to the idea that quiet students are not necessarily the model student. I feel so strongly about this, especially because I was a quiet obedient student in high school. I definitely had opinions. I just didn't really know how to voice them. But obeying rules without thinking is not beneficial to our society. We need to understand this and we need to promote having opinions and having space to voice them. Innovation comes from pushing boundaries and breaking rules. I actually think it's pretty contradicting that we're taught to behave, I guess is the right word here. But some of the biggest influencers in the past year are people who absolutely do not behave. An easy example is Elon Musk, who's pushing the boundaries of electric and autonomous vehicles, space travel, and more. His Twitter is rife with controversial opinions, and he spurs discourse and changes in the world, usually for the better. Okay, of course we have to come back to Cynthia's life motto. Open, ready, curious. I just love how ready she was with it. And I actually don't tell my guests in advance about this question. She created this motto for herself when she needed a push. I'm assuming when she was struggling or looking for something to grab onto to keep her going. And it actually reminds me a little bit of Salma's interview last week in episode five, where Salma talks about setting daily intentions as motivators and promises to herself. Cynthia here has created a life intention and she draws strength from it whenever she needs it. This interview makes me want to sit down and really think and come up with my own life motto with the same intention that she did. One last topic is something that people often overlook is making sure to express gratitude and also to celebrate wins. I've found that saying thank you and explicitly recognizing when someone helps you leads to more open communication channels it leads to more willingness to help you in the future and an overall more positive environment. A super relevant example, which you guys actually know, is one with my intern Mallory, who's been helping me every week with this podcast. I want to show her that I appreciate her help. And one way that I'm doing that is by publicly recognizing her at the end of every episode. So I run daily stand-ups on my team for my regular job outside of this podcast. And I started a tradition where every Friday we voice our appreciations for things other teammates have done that week. And also celebrating wins does a similar thing by calling out successes as a group and taking the time to really appreciate the work that went into them. All right, fam. As you know, this show is just in the very beginning, so I can use all the help I can get from you guys. And the way that you can make a difference is just by following or subscribing to the podcast and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any other kind of feedback, you can also just email me at natalie at statementmondays.com. And remember, be bold. Today is Statement Monday. I'm Natalie Munster, and my intern is Mallory Pilon. You can learn more about me and Statement Mondays at statementmondays.com or follow us on Instagram at statementmondays. I'd love to hear what you think and how you have been bold lately. So please get in touch. I'll see you next Monday. Bye.